came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, that he is also flesh, yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they were children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So tonight, grieving our God by unbelief. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for your word, this written record that we have of history, of how your dealings with men. And, and we pray as we look into the word of God tonight, pray, Father, that we'd see uh, your mercy and your grace extended over and over again and to, the, to, the, to unbelieving men and their wickedness. And, Father, we thank you that you are gracious even to us. I mean, how many times we fail to, to believe and trust and uh, have confidence in your promises, and yet you abide faithful, and we thank you for that. To help us tonight, encourage our hearts, and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> you know, this is uh, towards the time right before the flood. Uh, men are multiplying on the earth. You th- think about this, how, how quickly people would multiply. You have men and women living 900 years and having children. Now, I don't know how many of those hundreds of years they had children, but I would imagine it was hundreds of years that they had children. So there have been lots of children. There have been multiplication very rapidly. So there was lots of people on the earth. Now there is a controversial passage here a little bit in verses 2 through 6 about the giants and how they came about and all that. Uh, It talks about the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wise of which they choose. I, simply mean, I believe that simply means that the sons of God, those who followed, believed in God, saw that these women of the world were beautiful. And they began to intermarry with the unsaved, which was a violation or a corruption of the, of the human race. And, and it says, and there were giants in the earth in those days. And some people believe that that resulted in giants. Uh, some believe that the sons of God are angels. But Jesus said the angels neither marry nor are given in marriage. I just think it was a mixing of the, those who believed in God and those who didn't believe in God. Basically, those are the descendants of Cain and those are the descendants of Seth. Um, and it causes corruption. You know, think about it. Okay, there were giants in David's day, too. 
And it wasn't because of the intermarriage of sons of God and daughters of men. They were just there. And they weren't descendants of these people because these people all got destroyed in the flood. (laughs) So, you know, again, I just believe that that what we see here is, you know, uh, and and it it did, I I believe it does. You know, there's, there's there's a sense that God gives men who follow Him and believe in Him and seek Him wisdom and understanding, not only in spiritual things, but in natural things that you see in the world. And there was great advances in civilization. There are, there are some scientists who believe that this, this civilization had forms of electricity already. Uh, you know, you know, we, and, and, you know, most the, the, uh, unbelieving scientists out there, you know, they, 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 they paint this, uh, early, civilization as if they were cavemen, you know. Well, the cavemen mentality really comes from people, does come from people, you know, that is, the, the degradation of society, as we're going to see, does come from people turning away from God. But, but the, this wasn't, I don't believe this civilization was like that. Uh, in fact, in uh, chapter 4, uh, <clears throat> chapter 4 and verse uh, 20, it says, And Abel bare Jabal, he was the father of such a dwell in tents of such have cattle. His brother's name was Jubal, and he was the father of all such as handled the harp and the organ. How many of you know somebody that plays a harp? Yeah, two people. Um, there's not very many people play harps. It's a hard instrument to play. Uh, and so, you know, they would have, first of all, design a harp. Make a harp. Do you know any harp makers? Uh, you, know, the, you know, these people were not, uh, you know, stupid. These people had, had they, they, were, they were advanced. Uh, and Zilla, she also bare table cane, an instructor of every artificer in brass and iron. And the sister of Tubal Cain was Nema. So, so anyway, you know, all that to say this, these people were advanced in their civilization, and the fact that the daughters of uh, the sons of God, who God gives wisdom to men, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the foremost and uh, most advanced scientists in the world are, are people that believe in God. Because if you start from that premise, you begin to, you begin to understand how things work because of how God made them. And, and so uh, this gave these un, even these unsaved people some advanced learning. And, and so, uh, I, I, you know, I, I think the mighty man refers more than just giants. I think it refers to men of wisdom. And so, you know, when you combine that, what you have is men with understanding that go to greater lengths of wickedness and devising evil plans. And, and the result is that God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and every imagination, they come up with everything you could imagine to be evil that could be evil. Sometime you ought to, <clears throat> I remember probably, I don't know, it's been quite a few years ago. Uh, 
in the O. Timothy, put out by Brother David Clyde. There was an article about the Spanish Inquisition. And um, was this, this was in, I think, the 1600s. There was a, um, a, an altercation between um, some men in the monastery and some state soldiers. Uh, they got shot at because they were, they were chasing this man. He went into this monastery and the, the, the guards at the monastery actually shot at the, 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 the state officials. Of course, at this point, the Inquisition had been outlawed in Spain. So they got permits and went into the monastery. And, you know, they were, they, they, once they got in there, the, the Catholics, you know, acted like they were just good friends and all this. And, and so they began to search around and look for things. And they found this, they, they, they found this place in the floor and they poured water in it and went down through. Because they were suspicious of some, some things, persecution going on here. So it went down through. They opened it up and found a dungeon where there were skeletons, people starving to death, that had been put on the rack, and and they and it describes some of the methods of torture. You know, seductive torture that the Catholic Church came up with to use against those who spoke against them. And and so you know, we think about this. Every imagination of man's heart was only continu- evil continually. So, this, and this great wickedness that we see here, read about here, of course, brought the terrible judgment of the flood. But I want to notice several things tonight as we think about this. First of all, the grief of God. In verse 6 says, And it repented of the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. You know, God had made man for the purpose of fellowship. That's why he made man. Uh, he made him for fellowship. In uh, 1 John, in, <clears throat> in chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, the Apostle John uh, tells us that which was from the beginning. So we're talking about from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. So this, this life was with the Father from the beginning, and this is God's purpose from the beginning, but now is made manifested or revealed to us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father, and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. In Proverbs chapter 8, Proverbs chapter 8, and verse 25, it says, Before the mountains were settled, before the hills was I brought forth, I was, was I brought forth, while as yet he had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part of the dust of the world. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he set the compass upon the face of the depth, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he gave to the sea his decree that the waters should not pass his commandment, when he appointed the foundations of the earth, then I was by him as one brought up with him, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the habitable part of his earth, and my delights were with the sons of men. 
Now, this passage is a really a reference speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's, he's telling the, all the things he was before. He, and he says, actually, in verse 23, I was set up from everlasting. So, so he's talking about he's the everlasting one, and he preceded the earth and the hills and the, and the fields and all this. And, and his, but his delight, his, what he rejoiced in or what he joyed in was being with the sons of men. So God made man, here, here we see, you know, we, we, we come to this and we understand that God made man for fellowship. But man, in his rebellion, has turned away from God and it says it grieved him at his heart. The word grieve means to, to hurt, to hurt. To feel pain of mind or heart. To be in a pain in account of evil, to sorrow, to mourn. So God is pained. God is pained when we rebel against him. What does Ephesians 4 says? And grieve not the Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed on the day of redemption. You know, when, when we are born again, the Spirit of God takes up residence in our, in our life. Uh, and, and, and we can grieve Him. We can grieve Him by the things that we do, by unbelief, by rebellion against Him. You know, God ha- and this shows us that God has feelings, God does care, God can be pained. <clears throat> the Bible talks this, like this in other places, in Psalm 95 and... Verses 6 through 10. Psalm 95. Verses 6 through 10. The psalmist said, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your heart, as in the provocation, as in the day and temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation and said, It is a people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways, unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter in my, in my rest. So 40 years long. Now, I may think to, to you and I, that may seem like a long time that he bore and he, and he was pained with him. But you know, the Bible says in, in Genesis chapter 6, it was 120 years. For 120 years, he said, my spirit shall not always strive with men, yet his days shall be 120 years. In other words, I'm going to give him 120 years. And we believe that Noah preached for 120 years. Judgment is coming. You need to repent. God endured this grief. Mark chapter 3. During... Our Lord's ministry on earth. He was grieved. Mark chapter 3, verse uh, <clears throat> 1 says, He entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there with a withered hand. And they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day that they might accuse him. So here's a guy with a withered hand. And and Jesus can do something about it. And he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, stand forth. 
and he saith unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days, or to do evil, to save life, or to kill? But they held their peace. They wouldn't answer. And when he looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand, and he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. You know, <clears throat> you know I feel like this when I read articles like in the Epic Times. When a wife and a son and a daughter are suing the hospital to get treatment for a COVID patient who's dying. And the hospital will not allow any alternative treatments. You know, that's really the same thing that's going on here. Of course, the shortest verse in the Bible is John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept at the grave of Lazarus. You know, when you begin to understand, look, look at uh, Ecclesiastes chapter one, verse eighteen. There's there's a principle here that's taught in the book of Ecclesiastes that the more you understand about life, there's 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 an increase of sorrow with it. And, and you begin to understand about life and about man's rebellion against life. And, and, you know, if you think about all the things you see in the world, there's many things that can cause you to sorrow or grieve. For, for Ecclesiastes 1.18 says, For much wisdom is much grief. Your wisdom is being able to apply your learning to, to real life you know, it's, it's finding solutions to problems. You know, how many times could you, have you thought of someone, you know, well, I really could help this person, but they don't want help. They don't want help. You know, we're, some a couple of us were talking this morning about, you know, sometimes People need financial help. But as one of you said, you know, there's some people I don't, I don't help because they really don't want help. They just want a handout. You know, that, that's grievous. You know, it's, it's difficult to watch them be in need and yet know that it's their own choice. See, wisdom has an understanding to know how to solve the problem or a solution or an answer to it, but <laughs> you know, years ago, Bill Clinton coined was credited with coining the phrase, "I feel your pain." Um, but the reality is that God does feel our pain. He is grieved. Isaiah 53, 3 speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ as acquainted with sorrows. Uh, Hebrews 4, 15 says he, 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 he uh, suffered infirmities such as we are, yet without sin. And so, we see here that God is grieved. Second thing we see is the great wickedness of man. In, in uh, verses 5 and verse 12, 
verse 5 and verse 12, the Bible says, And God saw that the wickedness of men, man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. Then in verse, verse 11 and 12 it says, The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. Now, to understand the wickedness, this wickedness and rebellion and the depths of it, we also, I believe, need to understand the light that they had. You know, to whom much is given, much is required. That there is a principle of that in, even in Scripture. You know, Jesus says those who are forgiven much will love much. So, to whom much is given, much is required. There was more expected of Moses than most of the common people of the nation of Israel. And so th- these people, you know, we, we would say, okay, so how much light do these people have? Well, th- all men have the light of nature. All generations have the light of creation. And, you know, these people would have been closer to the original creation. In fact, I don't know if you realize this, but Adam would have lived to the days of Methuselah. So he could have told the father of Lamech. I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly where this, because I didn't think about this before. Thought about this tonight, but but you know, Adam lived up until Methuselah. So they he would have got firsthand information from someone who was there. At creation. Someone who would have seen or understood, you know, he didn't see it because God put him to sleep, but understood that God made a woman out of his side. Would have understood and seen the Garden of Eden. Would have understood and uh, been able to appreciate and experience God coming down in the cool day and walking and talking with them. And he would have given this first-hand experience to Methuselah, who was the grandfather of Noah. And of course, you know, all, all generations, even our generation, do have the light of creation. Uh, Romans chapter 1 tells us this very clearly. In verse 20, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So, you know, we can understand by the things that we see in the world and experience in the world, observe in the world, that's what science is, observing, that nothing creates itself. That every design has a designer. All order has an orderer. And so, this is the, the, the light of creation, or the light of nature, and all generations have that. So they had that. They had the promise of a Redeemer. In Genesis 3.15, uh, we, we find that God gave to Noah, or to Adam, who would have lived up to at least Methuselah, He gave him a promise of a Redeemer in verse 15. I will put them between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, and I believe that, that God gave him a demonstration of this, as a sacrifice for sin, 
when he slew animals and clothed them. He made coats of skins and clothed them. So that something was sacrificed to cover their sin or their nakedness. And, and, and I am certain that Adam understood this because of what Cain and Abel did. You know, Cain brought of the fruit of the ground the works of his own hands, but Abel, somebody instructed him, you bring a lamb of the flock and the fat thereof. So life gave its life. Something innocent, something that was his substitute, something in his place died as a sacrifice for sin. And so they would have told and, you know, even up to Genesis chapter 49 and verse 18, they're still speaking about this Redeemer. Genesis 49 and verse 18, <clears throat> Jacob and his, and his uh, dying blessing to the, to the, to the tribes, to, the, to his sons says in verse 18, I have waited for thy salvation, God. I have waited. So this promise of the Redeemer. So this is the light they had. Uh, they had, as I already mentioned this, the institution of an atoning sacrifice. You know, God made coats of skins and covered them. And this is evident by the fact that, again, that Abel brought a, 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 sacrifice, to, a sacrifice to atone for his sin. And, and even Noah took animals, extra animals, into the ark. You know, he took two of every unclean and seven of clean. What did he take so many clean ones for? For sacrifice. When he came off the ark. And when he came off the ark, he offered sacrifices. So this, these truths were handed down from father to son, grandfather, great-grandfather. You know, I don't know how far back you're going to go with Adam, great-great-great-great-great-great-great-Methuselah, you know. But first-hand information. The mark on Cain. The mark on Cain. Genesis chapter 4. You know, again, these are all... These are all uh, light that God is giving them, uh, Genesis 4 and verse 15, it says, And the Lord said unto Cain, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. So, and we don't really know what this mark was. It's, it's not the color of his skin. You know, because again, they were all destroyed during the flood. But there was some kind of mark put on Cain by the Lord himself. And this mark is saying what, what it's really is saying is, here, this man rejected the right sacrifice that atones for sin. And, and he's a murderer. Uh, he's a murderer. He's a fugitive from God. And, you know, when, when, you, when you rebel against God... You're a marked man, in a sense, by God. A man marked or a woman marked for judgment. And that's what Cain was. He was marked for judgment. It's a visible reminder of his own sin, and it's a solemn warning to others. It was a visible sign. 
They had the Sabbath day as a reminder to set time aside to worship God. You know, again, you know, the longevity of the patriarchs. You know, Adam, for 930 years, could tell of creation, the conditions of the garden, the disobedience, and the consequences they suffered for it. And evidence of this communication is found in Genesis chapter 5 and verse 29, where it says, And he called his name Noah, saying, This same shall comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. See, they understood that this ground was now cursed because of their sin. So they can't say, they can't say, we didn't know. We didn't know. You see, land is cursed because of man's sin. Look at Numbers, chapter 35. <clears throat> and we see this in the world today. I mean, the reason societies degenerate is because of man's sin against God. But Numbers, chapter 35, verse 29. I'm sorry, verse 31. Moreover, you should take no satisfaction for the life of a murderer, which is guilty of death, but he shall surely be put to death. And ye shall take no satisfaction for him that has fled to the city of his refuge, that he should come again to dwell in the land until the death of the priest. So, so the idea here is, look, you're, you're not to pity a murderer and be lenient to him. He is to be surely put to death. You're not to be, feel sorry for the man who kills somebody accidentally. You know, there is consequences to, to, to things, carelessness, and, and so there needs to be some consequences. You don't, you don't need to see, feel sorry for him. He's to live in the city of refuge until the death of the high priest. There is consequences, even though maybe it wasn't intentional. Sometimes death happens by carelessness. You know, how many times has somebody been struck on the highway because of a driver that was, he didn't intend to kill anybody, he was careless. No, as far as I'm concerned, drunk driving is murder. But there are deaths on the highway because of somebody is careless, wasn't paying attention. And so that's the idea here. And, and he says that he should come again to dwell in the land until the death of the high priest, verse 32. Then at verse 33, So shall ye not pollute the land wherein ye are, for blood it defileth the land, and the land cannot be cleansed of the blood that is shed therein, but by the blood of him that shed it. Defile not therefore the land which ye shall inhabit, wherein I dwell, for I the Lord dwell among the children of Israel. So by when there's blood shed in the land, it defiles the land. Do you ever think about why our country is going down? How many babies have we murdered every year since 1973? How many people are killed in our streets every year? And how soft have we gotten on crime? We no longer, you know, how often anymore do you hear about somebody putting, being put to death because they murdered somebody intentionally? 
I mean, I just read today of a young man tried to kill, I'm trying to remember if it was his father or, or I think it was some relative, just because he wanted to enjoy playing with a dead body. And he'll live to tell about it. You know, that pollutes, that desecrates our land. <clears throat> this was in town, town Hall website. Five Consequences of America's Moral Collapse by John Hawkins, July 30th, 2015. He said Americans have some become so, quote-unquote, non-judgmental that many people can no longer tell the difference between good and evil. We congratulate ourselves for being nicer, more sensitive, and less prejudiced than past generations of America's but we don't stop to consider how much more there is to morality than that. An America that isn't full of good people won't remain a good nation. Nor will it remain strong and free over the long haul. Our country's lack of morality has real consequences that are capable of eventually sinking us as a nation. The collapse, and he gives five things. The collapse of marriage. There used to be quite a bit of social stigma attached to getting a divorce or having a child out of wedlock. That no longer true, and consequences for society have been horrific. Though there's some dispute about numbers, roughly 40% of marriages now in the divorce, and half of all children born to women under 30 in America are illegitimate. Three in ten white children are born out of wedlock, as are 53% of Hispanic babies and 73% of black babies. That's important because children raised without a mother and father are statistically worse off in just about every area imaginable. And he gives statistics about them getting into crime, and it's horrific. Crime. Second thing he mentions, crime. Despite the fact that China and India have populations four times our size, it is stunning that America has the largest prison population on earth. Not coincidentally, America's once sky-high crime rate dropped as masses numbers of criminals were locked away. Bizarrely, many people talk about crime as if it's divorced from morality. We hear about a supposed rape culture, school shootings, the knockout game, child abuse, etc., without making the obvious connection to morals. Good kids aren't raping anybody. Assaulting strangers to prove they're tough or shooting up movie theaters unless they're mentally ill. Kids who are taught about good and evil, right and wrong, patriotism, chivalry, and honor are going to make mistakes. A few of them will even turn out to be bad apples. However, full though our prisons may be, they are not full of God-fearing men. They are full of people who are morally adrift. By the way, when we were in Taiwan, you know, we had jet lag for a few days. So, you know, we'd be awake at 1.30 in the morning, and we ran out of drinking water. And my wife said, you know, I'm thirsty. I said, well, I could have some, use some water myself. I said, well, why don't we just go downtown and see if we can find something open? So at 1.30 in the morning, her and I left our motel, went down few streets and found this, it was sort of like a 7-Eleven little convenience store and walked in and, and bought a case of water and took it back to the motel and we're walking down this street and she says, do you think this is safe? Well, you know, 1.30 in the morning when we're out on the street, that's a nice time to ask. And I said, eh, I don't know, I guess so. 
So we asked Brother Evan the next day, do you think that was safe? He said, yeah. He said, the reason is here, crime is a stigma. It's a stigma. There's a stigma to being a criminal. It's looked down on. You know, here they make all the news. They're publicized. It's a stigma. You know, there's still honor and respect taught there. Another, another thing he gave is poor government. America is becoming, pro, pro, becoming progressively less governable. And, and, you know, and we go on and on. Despite the fact that it's seldom discussed, one of the biggest factors is the dishonesty of our own politicians. How does that play a role? Well, he said it's impossible to cut any kind of meaningful long-term deal on taxes, spending immigration, or any of the big issue because neither party can be trusted to stick to a deal. Politicians lie to the voters. They lie to other party. They lie even to their own colleagues on the same side of the aisle. Barack Obama's signature piece of legislation, Obamacare, was entirely built on lies. Hillary Clinton has been caught lying more times than Pinocchio. And it's not so much different than for the GOP leadership in Congress. Today, as I write, this is 2015, Ted Cruz has stepped to the Senate floor to call out Majority Leader Mitch McConnell for lying to his own caucus. On one hand, it's extremely difficult to govern a nation with long-term planning, but how do you plan for a future when no politician's word means anything? Dependence. Americans have been traditionally been the most self-reliant people on the face of the earth. People used to be ashamed beyond the dole, even if they felt like they had no other choice. But judging by the numbers, we see today that's no longer true. More than one-third of the population, 109 million Americans, are on welfare. That's more people than there are in the four most populous states in America, California, Texas, New York, and Florida combined. 45 million Americans are receiving food stamps. Nearly 11 million Americans, a number larger than the population of Greece, are on disability. And I know for a fact some of these people that are on disability, they're not disabled. They just say they are. Lack of civility and, merit and, and manners. Gen, uh, Sam Adams said, quote, a, di- a general dissolution of principles and manners will more surely overthrow the liberties of America than the whole force of a common enemy. While the people are virtuous, virtuous they cannot be subdued. But once, when once they lose their virtue, then they will be ready to surrender their liberties to the first external or internal inv- invader, unquote. <clears throat> you know, we, we live in a country that has become crude and crass and ill-mannered. And you know what? We're without excuse. I mean, we have had the light of the gospel more than probably any other nation in history. Not only that, well, we'll go on here. These people had the preaching of Enoch. They had the preaching of Enoch. In Jude. And you have to go to the book of Jude to find this out. The Bible doesn't say much about it. But, you know, it, you know I've wondered. The Bible doesn't say anything about Enoch, but he was a man that walked with God. 
And you would get the impression in, in the book of Genesis that he was non-confrontational. <laughs> but if you read the book of Jude, he was very confrontational. Verse 14, Jude says, And Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all their ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. There was the preaching of Noah for 120 years while he's building the ark. And I must hurry. There's a ministry of the Spirit, Genesis chapter 6, and of course we believe this is through the preaching of Noah. Genesis 6 and verse 3 says, My spirit shall not always strive with man. So we know the Spirit of God was striving, even then he was convinced, or convicting, working in hearts of men through the Word of God, the preached Word of Noah and Enoch, and, and convicting them of their wickedness. And yet, only Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth and their wives went in the ark. So there's much light revealed to them. This demonstrates to us the abundance of the grace and mercy of God to these people. To these people. We notice in verse 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, Noah, yeah, God's not an irrespecter of persons. This grace would, was offered to anyone who would receive it, not just to Noah and his family. They were some kind of special people that had some kind of special access to God. All the people at this time, though they were wicked in hearts, had this same possibility. You know, just as people that, that you, you know had the same access to the same truth, but chose to go another direction. You know, even think about Sodom and Gomorrah, which God destroyed. I mean, their wickedness was so bad that God finally destroyed the cities. Did they have light? Did they have a witness? Did they have the mercy and grace of God extended to them? Look at Genesis chapter 14. <clears throat> Genesis 14. And I'm not going to read all this for sake of time, but there's a war here. There's a battle. And verse 1 came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Erok, king of Alessar, and Chedalomer, king of Elam, and Tida, king of, Tidal, king of nations. These made war with Bera, king of Sodom, with Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, and Shebeb, king of Zob, Zobium, and king of Bela, which is Zor. So there's four kings against five. So, so they come to battle against the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah and these other three kings, and they defeat them. And in, and in the process of that, that's when they took Lot captive. Now, Lot has been living there close to Sodom. The Bible says that just man vexed his righteous soul. Now, he wasn't a very good witness. But even so, I can't help but think that he did at times... You know, he, he, you know he, the Bible says he's vexed. So the sin of the city 
And the area grieved him, though he wanted the business dealings of it. So I, even in that situation, I can't help but think at times that, that he did try to, to witness to those people of their wickedness. Though because of his compromise, it was ineffective. However, so Lot's taken captive. Abram hears about it. And he arms his servants, 318, and goes after these four kings and defeats them and delivers all the goods, Lot and all the goods and all the people from these four kings that have defeated Sodom and Gomorrah and these other three cities. And it says in verse 17, the king of Sodom went out to meet him, that is Abraham, after his return from the slaughter of Chedorlaomer and the kings that were with him in the valley of Shava, which is the king's dale, and Melchizedek. Here you have Melchizedek also, who's the priest of the Most High God, brought forth bread and wine. He was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him, that is, he blessed Abraham, and said, Blessed be Abram, and the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And, he, and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all. So Abraham gave tithes to the to the to uh, Melchizedek. And the king of Sodom said unto Abraham, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. And Abraham said unto the king of Sodom, I have lifted up mine hand unto the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth. You know, it's like, you know, that's sort of like saying, you know, the God that you don't serve. The God that you're against. And then he says, I will take not a shoe latchet from thee. Lest thou say, thou hast made Abraham rich. I don't want anything from you. You know, really, the reason Abraham is saying that is because you're a wicked man. Sodom and Gomorrah had witness to their sin. But they refused it. So again, we see the long-suffering here of God, the, the grace of God extended. You know, God promised these people before the flood 120 years. They heard the preaching of Noah. They heard the prophesying of, of, of Enoch. And they, they visibly see Noah building an ark to save his house. I mean, a demonstration of faith before their very eyes in the promise of judgment to come. You know, instead of thinking, you know, maybe he is telling the truth. Maybe we ought to consider this. They just laughed and mocked and scoffed and made fun of them. So like Paul said when he wrote to the church of Corinth, you know, we are the offscouring of the world. Preaching of the world is them that perish foolishness. They think we're foolish. But, but it's through this preaching of Noah 
that God extended His grace. They had years to repent. See, God is gracious. God is patient. He would have spared Sodom and Gomorrah for ten righteous people. Ten. There's a a modern comparison to Sodom and Gomorrah. In 79 A.D., the city of Pompeii was destroyed by a volcano eruption. You know, it was a modern Sodom and Gomorrah. They, in the, they've they've uh, done archaeological and, and uh, what's the word I want, uh, diggings there, uh, dug up the city. I mean, it was buried in 19 feet of ash. Um, there's a little difference of opinion about how many people died. They say there was maybe around 20,000 people lived in the city and their surrounding area. One, one says... You know, 2,000 Pompeians were dead, but the eruption killed as many as 16,000 overall. So just buried them alive. And there's lots of people they find just buried alive. They find canned goods, still good, buried, you know, in the 1700s, 1800s. But what they, they find two people locked in an embrace. And at first they thought a man and a woman. So the DNA and all kinds of tests, and you know what they find out? Two men. It was known. This city was known. In fact, they, you know, this known for graphic images on the walls of the city, even in the roads, and on houses. It was full of brothels, prostitution, and one day, that volcano just buried it. You don't think God had enough. You know, God is a gracious God. God is a patient God. And He is long-suffering. He's not willing that any should perish. But one of these days, time is going to end. The world will no longer have opportunity. Man's rebellion against God will be brought to an account. And you and I need to be witnesses to that, to those who are still lost in their sin. And need to have our own hearts prepared. We know not the day and the hour when the Son of Man cometh. You know, I don't believe Noah Noah knew what day he was going in the ark. But one day, God just simply said, Noah, in the ark. And the Bible says that he brought all the animals, and then God shut the door. God shut the door. One of these days, God's going to shut the door again. Day of opportunity will be over. Are you ready? Are you warning others to prepare to meet our God? Let's pray.